This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of ankle fractures from the trauma section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Ankle fractures are very common injuries to the ankle, which generally occur due to a twisting mechanism. The diagnosis is made with orthogonal radiographs of the ankle. Treatment can be non-operative or operative, depending on fracture displacement, ankle stability, syndesmosis injury, and patient activity demands. Now, let's get into the episode. With respect to etiology, the injury patterns of ankle fractures include an isolated medial malleolus fracture, isolated lateral malleolus fracture, bimalleolar and bimalleolar equivalent fractures, posterior malleolus fractures, Bosworth fracture dislocations, open ankle fractures, and associated syndesmosis injuries, or an isolated syndesmosis injury. Now, let's go over some relevant anatomy. In terms of biomechanics, the deep portion of the deltoid ligament is the primary restraint to anterolateral talar displacement. The fibula acts as a buttress to prevent lateral displacement of the talus. Moving on to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP, lateral, mortis, external rotation stress views, as well as a full-length tibia or proximal tibia radiographs. An external rotation stress view is the most appropriate stress radiograph to assess competency of the deltoid ligament. This is more sensitive to injury than medial tenderness, ecchymosis, or edema. Note that a gravity stress radiograph is equivalent to a manual stress radiograph. Finally, in terms of a full-length tibia or proximal tibia radiographs, these are important to rule out a Masonu-type fracture. As far as findings on radiographs, you may see a syndesmotic injury, lateral malleolus fractures, or posterior malleolus fractures. A syndesmotic injury on radiographs will manifest with a decreased tibiofibular overlap, increased medial clear space, and increased tibiofibular clear space. So in terms of a decreased tibiofibular overlap, be sure to measure at the point of maximal overlap. Normal is greater than 6 mm on AP view, normal is greater than 1 mm on the mortise view, and it has been reported that there is no actual correlation between syndesmotic injury and tibiofibular clear space or overlap measurements. In terms of increased medial clear space, normal is less than or equal to 4 mm on mortise or stress view. Know that a medial clear space of greater than 5 mm with external rotation stress applied to a dorsiflexed ankle is predictive of deep deltoid disruption. In terms of an increased tibiofibular clear space, be sure to measure the clear space 1 cm above the joint. Normal is less than 6 mm on both AP and mortise views. Moving on to lateral malleolus fractures, the talocrural angle is measured by bisection of a line through the tibial anatomical axis and another line through the tips of the malleoli. Know that shortening of lateral malleoli fractures can lead to an increased talocrural angle. However, remember that the talocrural angle is not 100% reliable for estimating restoration of fibular length. You can also utilize the realignment of the medial fibular prominence with the tibiotalar joint. As far as findings of posterior malleolus fractures on radiographs, this can manifest with a double contour sign, a misty mountain sign, or a spur sign. Moving on to the classification of ankle fractures, the ones to know include the Log Hansen classification, the anatomic slash descriptive classification, the Dennis Weber classification, which is based on the location of the fibular fracture, and the AO slash OTA classification. So starting with the Log Hansen classification, this is based on foot position and force of applied stress slash force. This has been shown to predict the observed ligamentous injury via MRI in less than 50% of operatively treated fractures. The Log Hansen classification is divided into four types. Supination adduction, supination external rotation, pronation abduction, and pronation external rotation. So starting with supination adduction, 
This log Hansen type of ankle fracture will have one, a talofibular sprain or distal fibular avulsion, and two, a vertical medial malleolus and impaction of the anteromedial distal tibia. Moving on to the supination external rotation type, these injuries will have one, an anterior tibiofibular ligament sprain, two, lateral short oblique fibular fracture that is antero-inferior to posterior superior, three, posterior tibiofibular ligament rupture or avulsion of the posterior malleolus, and four, medial malleolus transverse fracture or disruption of the deltoid ligament. Moving on to pronation abduction, this type will have one, a medial malleolus transverse fracture or disruption of the deltoid ligament, two, anterior tibiofibular ligament sprain, and three, transverse comminuted fracture of the fibula above the level of the syndesmosis. Finally, moving on to the pronation external rotation type of ankle fracture, this will present with one, a medial malleolus transverse fracture or disruption of the deltoid ligament, two, anterior tibiofibular ligament disruption, three, lateral short oblique or spiral fracture of the fibula, that is anterosuperior to posteroinferior above the level of the joint, and four, posterior tibiofibular ligament rupture or avulsion of the posterior malleolus. Moving on to the anatomic slash descriptive classification of ankle fractures, the types include an isolated medial malleolar fracture, isolated lateral malleolar fracture, bimalleolar and trimalleolar, as well as Bosworth fracture dislocation, which is a posterior dislocation of the fibula behind the incisura fibularis. Weber classification is based on the location of the fibular fracture. So a Weber A is an infrasyndesmotic that is generally not associated with ankle instability, a Weber B is transsyndesmotic, and a Weber C is supersyndesmotic. Finally, moving on to the AL slash OTA classification, the ankle is designated as region 44, and this is divided into three types, 44A, B, and C. 44A is infrasyndesmotic, 44B is transsyndesmotic, and 44C is supersyndesmotic. Moving on to the treatment of ankle fractures, this can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes a short leg walking cast slash boot. This is indicated for isolated non-displaced medial malleolus fractures or tip avulsions. It's also indicated in the setting of an isolated lateral malleolus fracture with less than 3 millimeters of displacement and no tailor shift, bimalleolar fractures if the patient is elderly or unable to undergo surgical intervention, and posterior malleolar fracture with less than 25% joint involvement or less than 2 millimeters of step-off. Operative options include open reduction internal fixation. This is indicated for any tailored displacement, a displaced isolated medial malleolar fracture, a displaced isolated lateral malleolar fracture, bimalleolar fracture and bimalleolar equivalent fracture, posterior malleolar fracture with greater than 25% or greater than 2 millimeters step-off, a Bosworth fracture dislocation, open fractures, and malleolar non-unions. As far as the technique of an open reduction internal fixation for an ankle fracture, the goal of treatment is stable anatomic reduction of the talus in the ankle mortis. Know that a 1 millimeter shift of the talus leads to a 42% decrease in tibiotalar contact area. We'll talk about specific treatment for different fracture patterns in a moment. As far as outcomes, open reduction internal fixation for ankle fractures has an overall success rate of 90%. Know that prolonged recovery is expected, specifically two years to obtain the final functional result. There's also significant functional impairment that is often noted postoperatively, and know that anatomic reduction is considered the most important factor for a satisfactory outcome. There are worse outcomes with smoking, decreased level of education, alcohol use, and the presence of a medial malleolar fracture. Know that ORIF is superior to closed treatment of bimalleolar fractures. In log Hansen supination adduction fractures, Restoration of marginal impaction of the anteromedial tibial plafond 
leads to optimal functional results after surgery. In terms of postoperative rehabilitation, know that the time for proper braking response time while driving returns to baseline at 9 weeks for operatively treated ankle fractures. Braking travel time is significantly increased until 6 weeks after initiation of weight-bearing in both long bone and periarticular fractures of the lower extremity. Now let's talk about isolated medial malleolus fractures in a bit more detail. This can be treated non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative management includes a short leg walking cast or a cast boot. This is indicated for non-displaced fractures and tip avulsions. Know that the deep deltoid inserts on the posterior colliculus and symptomatic treatment is often appropriate in this setting. Operative options include ORIF, which is indicated for any displacement or tailor shift. The technique includes a lag screw fixation, which is stronger if placed perpendicular to the fracture line. Another potential technique is an anti-glide plate with a lag screw, which is best for vertical shear fractures. Another potential technique is tension band fixation utilizing stainless steel wire. Finally, in terms of fixation of the medial malleolus fracture, know that for a transverse pattern, lag by technique using 3.5 fully threaded screws is biomechanically superior to lag by design using 4.0 partially threaded screws. Moving on to an isolated lateral malleolus fracture, this can be treated non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative management includes a short leg walking cast versus a cast boot, which is indicated if there's an intact mortise, no tailor shift, and less than 3 millimeters of displacement. Classically, fractures with more than 4 to 5 millimeters of medial clear space widening on stress radiographs have been considered unstable and need to be treated surgically. Recent studies, however, have shown that the deep deltoid may be intact with up to 8 to 10 millimeters of widening on stress radiographs. If the mortise is well reduced, results from operative and non-operative treatments are similar. Moving on to operative options for isolated lateral malleolus fractures, know that open reduction and internal fixation is indicated if there is a tailor shift or greater than 3 mm of displacement. This can be treated operatively if also treating an ipsilateral syndesmosis injury. Plate placement can be lateral, that is with lag screw fixation with neutralization plating, or a bridge plate technique. The plate can also be placed posterior in an anti-glide technique, as well as a lag screw fixation with neutralization plating. The most common disadvantage of using posterior anti-glide plating is perineal irritation if the plate is placed too distally. However, keep in mind that posterior anti-glide plating is biomechanically superior to lateral plate placement. Know that the stiffest fixation construct for the fibula is a locking plate. Another operative option for an isolated lateral malleolus fracture is an intramedullary retrograde screw placement. So in terms of isolated lag screw fixation, this is possible if the fibula fracture is a spiral pattern and screws can be placed at least 1 cm apart. Postoperative care involves a period of immobilization usually 4-6 to six weeks after ORIF. Remember that the duration of immobilization should be doubled in diabetic patients. Moving on to medial and lateral bimalleolar fractures, this can also be treated non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative management includes total contact casting, which is indicated for elderly or patients that are unable to undergo surgical intervention. Operative options include ORIF, which is indicated for any lateral tailor shift. As far as the fibula technique, you will need to fix the fibula with one of the options that we previously discussed. As far as the technique for the medial malleolus fracture, fixation options include cancellous lag screws, bicortical screws, tension band wiring, or an anti-glide plate to treat a vertical medial malleolus fracture. Be sure to orient the screws parallel to the joint for vertical medial malleolar fractures, that is a log Hansen supination adduction fracture pattern. Moving on to functional bimalleolar fractures, that is a deltoid ligament tear with a fibular fracture, this is almost always operative, specifically an ORIF of the lateral malleolus. As far as indications, know that examination has been shown to be largely unreliable in predicting medial injury.
you can see significant lateral translation of the talus in this pattern. As far as the technique, know that it's not necessary to repair the medial deltoid ligament. You will only need to explore medially if you are unable to reduce the mortise. You can fix an isolated fibular fracture with any of the techniques that we previously described. Moving on to a posterior malleolar fracture, this can also be treated non-operatively or operatively. Non-operative management includes a short leg walking cast versus a cast boot. This is indicated when less than 25% of the articular surface is involved. Note that evaluation of the percentage should be done with CT scan as plain radiology is unreliable. This is also indicated for less than 2 millimeters of an articular step-off and syndesmotic stability. Operative options include ORIF, which is indicated when there's greater than 25% of the articular surface involved, greater than 2 millimeters of articular step-off, and a syndesmosis injury. As far as the technique, the approach can be a posterolateral approach, that is the interval between the FHL and the perineals, or a posteromedial approach. Note that the decision of approach will depend on the fracture lines and the need for fibular fixation. As far as fixation, anterior to posterior lag screws are placed to capture the fragment if non-displaced. Fixation can also include posterior to anterior lag screws and a buttress plate, and another option is an anti-glide plate. In the setting of syndesmosis injury, know that stiffness of the syndesmosis is restored to 70% normal with isolated fixation of the posterior malleolus versus 40% with isolated syndesmosis fixation. Know that stress examination of the syndesmosis is still required after posterior malleolar fixation. Remember that the posterior inferior tibiofibular ligament may remain attached to the posterior malleolus and syndesmotic stability may be restored with isolated posterior malleolar fixation. Finally, moving on to a Bonsworth fracture dislocation, as a quick overview, this is a rare fracture dislocation of the ankle where the fibula becomes entrapped behind the tibia and becomes irreducible. Note that the posterolateral ridge of the distal tibia hinders reduction of the fibula. Operative options for a Bosworth fracture dislocation is open reduction and fixation of the fibula in the incisura fibularis. This is indicated in most cases. Now, let's quickly talk about a hyperplantar flexion variant. As a quick overview, this is a fracture dislocation of the ankle due to hyperplantar flexion. The main feature is a vertical shear fracture of the posteromedial tibial rim. A quote-unquote spur sign is a double cortical density at the inferomedial tibial metaphysis. This is treated operatively with fixation of a posteromedial and posterior fragments with an anti-glide plate. Moving on to open ankle fractures, this is always operative, and this will be treated with emergent operative debridement and ORIF, which is indicated if soft tissue conditions allow. Primary closure at the index procedure can be performed in appropriately selected Gastillo-Anderson grade 1, 2, and 3A open fractures in otherwise healthy patients sustaining low-energy injuries without gross contamination. External fixation is indicated based on soft tissue conditions and overall patient characteristics. Now, let's talk about associated syndesmotic injury. As a quick overview, suspect injury in all ankle fractures. Know that this is most common in Weber C fracture patterns. Fixation is usually not required when the fibula fracture is within 4.5 centimeters of the plafond. Know that up to 25% of tibial shaft fractures will have ankle injury, and this has the highest rate with distal third spiral fractures. In terms of evaluation of a syndesmotic injury, be sure to measure the clear space one centimeter above the joint. It has also been reported that there is no actual correlation between syndesmotic injury and tibiofibular clear space or overlap measurements. Know that lateral stress radiographs have more inter-observer reliability than an AP slash mortise stress film. The best option is to assess stability intraoperatively with abduction slash external rotation stress of a dorsiflex foot. Remember that instability of the syndesmosis is greatest in the anterior-posterior direction. As far as treatment of a syndesmotic injury, this is done with a syndesmotic screw or suture fixation. 
This is indicated in the setting of winding of the medial clear space. A tibiofibular clear space on the AP that is greater than 5 millimeters. Tibiofibular overlap on the mortise that is narrowed. And remember that any postoperative malalignment or winding should be treated with open debridement, reduction, and fixation. As far as the technique for syndesmotic injury fixation, know that length and rotation of the fibula must be accurately restored. Outcomes are strongly correlated with anatomic reduction. Know that placing the reduction clamp on the mid-medial tibial ridge and the lateral fibular ridge at the level of the syndesmosis that is 1 to 2 centimeters proximal to the mortise will achieve the most reliable anatomic reduction. Use the quote-unquote dime sign slash sentence line to determine the length of the fibula. Open reduction can be required if closed reduction is unsuccessful or questionable. One or two cortical screw or screws or a suture device 2 to 4 centimeters above the joint is placed angled posterior to anterior 20 to 30 degrees. Remember that a lag technique is not desired. Maximum dorsiflexion of the ankle is not required during screw placement, as you can't over-tighten a properly reduced syndesmosis. Postoperatively, know that screws should be maintained in place for at least 8 to 12 weeks, and these patients must remain non-weight-bearing as screws are not biomechanically strong enough to withstand forces of ambulation. Some controversies to obtain is the number of screws, and know that one or two is most commonly reported, number of cortices, and know that three or four is most commonly reported. Other controversies include size of screws, that is 3.5mm or 4.5mm screws, implant material, like stainless steel screws, titanium screws, suture, or bioabsorbable materials, and know that suture devices are more forgiving on reduction. Finally, another controversy is the need for hardware removal. Know that there is no difference in outcomes seen with hardware maintenance, that is with breaking or loosening, or removal at one year. However, outcome may be worse with maintenance of intact screws. Finally, know that malreduction of an isolated syndesmotic injury improves with screw removal. Now, let's talk about diabetic ankle fractures, with or without neuropathy. Risks include prolonged healing, high risk of hardware failure, and high risk of infection. As far as enhanced fixation, know that multiple quadricortical syndesmotic screws should be placed even in the absence of syndesmotic injury. Tibio taylor steinman pins or hindfoot nailing can be used, ankle-spanning external fixation, you can augment with intramedullary fibula K-wires, you can use a stiffer, more rigid fibular plate instead of a one-third tubular plate, this includes compression plates or small fragment locking plates. Be sure to delay weight-bearing in these patients, specifically maintain non-weight-bearing post-op for 8 to 12 weeks instead of 4 to 8 weeks in normal patients. Non-operative treatment can be used in stable unimalleolar ankle fractures, however there is an increased risk for Charcot arthropathy, loss of reduction which is the greatest risk, and infection. Now let's end this review session talking about some complications. The ones to know include wound problems which occur in 4-5% to of cases, deep infections which occur in 1-2% to of patients and in up to 20% in diabetic patients, and remember that the largest risk factor for diabetic patients is the presence of peripheral neuropathy. Another complication is malunion, and there should be a high suspicion for articular impaction of the tibial plafond in supination adduction injuries, which should be addressed at the time of surgery. Know that corrective osteotomy requires obtaining anatomic fibular length and mortise correction for optimal outcomes. Postoperative stiffness includes loss of dorsiflexion with posterior fixation. Finally, post-traumatic arthritis is rare with anatomic reduction and fixation. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. In the Log Hansen classification system, a pronation abduction ankle fracture has what characteristic fibular fracture pattern? And the choices are 1. Transverse fracture below the level of the syndesmosis. 2. Short oblique fracture running from antero-inferior to posterior superior 
Three, short oblique fracture running from posterior inferior to anterior superior. Four, comminuted fracture at or above the level of the syndesmosis. And five, Wagstaff fracture. The correct answer to this question is for comminuted fracture at or above the level of the syndesmosis. So in the log Hansen classification system, the characteristic fibular fracture pattern in a pronation abduction injury is a comminuted fibular fracture above the level of the syndesmosis. In the first stage of this injury pattern, the deltoid fails in tension or an avulsion fracture of the medial malleolus occurs. In the second stage, the anterior inferior tibiofibular ligament ruptures or a small bony avulsion of this ligament's insertion slash origin occurs. The final stage includes the creation of a comminuted fibular fracture above the level of the syndesmosis. The article by Siegel et al. noted that extraperiosteal bridge plating of these ankle injuries was safe and had excellent radiographic and clinical outcomes at final follow-up. Moving on to the next question. Following operative repair of lower extremity long bone and periarticular fractures, what is the time frame for patients to return to normal automobile braking time? And the choices are 1. 6 weeks after initiation of weight-bearing, 2. 4 weeks postoperatively, 3. 8 weeks from the date of injury, 4. Once full range of motion of the ankle and knee exist, and 5. At the time of bony union. The correct answer to this question is 1. 6 weeks after initiation of weight-bearing. According to the study by Egal et al., appropriate breaking time returns at a point six weeks after initiation of weight-bearing after treatment of lower extremity long bone and periarticular fractures as examined with a driving simulator. No differences were seen in return of breaking time between periarticular fractures and long bone injuries. Another article by Egal et al. studied only operatively treated ankle fractures and found that time to appropriate breaking returns at nine weeks postoperatively. Interestingly, no significant association was found between the functional scores and normalization of total breaking time. And moving on to the final question, what is the most appropriate plating technique utilized for the medial malleolus fracture typically seen in a displaced supination adduction ankle fracture? And the choices are 1. Tension band plating, 2. Anti-glide plating, 3. Bridge plating, 4. Neutralization plating, and 5. Submuscular plating. The correct answer to this question is 2. Antiglide plating. So a supination adduction ankle fracture leads to a vertical fracture of the medial malleolus. Traditional fixation of the medial malleolus with oblique screws from the tip of the malleolus directed proximally will ineffectively protect against shear forces at the fracture site. These also are directed quite obliquely to the vertical fracture line, and therefore have poor biomechanical resistance to failure. An anti-glide plate is used medially to prevent displacement of the fracture segment due to shear forces. According to the article by Tulin et al., placement of two horizontal lag screws perpendicular to the fracture line from medial to lateral are biomechanically the most important aspect of the construct whether a plate is used or not. That's all for this review about ankle fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. 
Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.